Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it has been a spectacular day here at Faith Radio. Always enjoying the chance to be broadcasting uh, from the beautiful studios here in uh, Roseville, Minnesota. Going out across the world, telling people the good news of Jesus Christ and all he's done, and that he has an amazing plan for you, and has offered himself uh, this beautiful gift of salvation. And if you have never come to that place in your life, today might be the day. might be a good day to do it. I bet my guest would help me uh, in the journey. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest for the full hour. It's Ask the Professor Day, so whatever questions you have, send them over. 877-933-2484. Mark, welcome. Hey, hi, Bill. It's a great day, isn't it? You betcha. Yep. So I will let people know that they can always send questions in at any time they want, and they're starting to take me up on that. That's good. Yeah, so I'm getting questions in advance. And this question today that I'm going to start with is not a super easy one, but I figured let's get this out of the way, huh? I guess. <laughs> it it talks about Balaam. In, in Jude, he's not very well spoken of. Let's look oh. at verse 11. Mm-hmm. Woe to them, for they have traveled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit and have perished in Korah's rebellion. All right. So back in Numbers 22, when he was hired to curse Israel, Balaam seems to be a bit of a stand-up guy, conferring with the Lord and wanting to obey the Lord. So what would Dr. Mark Muskus say about Balaam? Was he himself a Jew? Uh, that is unlikely. He might have been, but uh, there's never any indication of that. In fact, Israel ends up killing him, and uh, it, it, along with a whole bunch of, of Moabites. And so, uh, I'd, I'd say it's unlikely. Although I, I don't know if I can prove that. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Ask the professor, Doctor Mark Muska, is my guest. Next question, Mark, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. It says, A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Didn't men and women dress very similarly in those days anyway? Does this apply to today as well? Well, that's two two tricky questions. I agree. Uh, They did, I mean, they would dress somewhat the same, uh, that uh, they would have robes on and undergarments and so forth. The women would almost always have their heads covered, which would be a distinction. That may be what uh, Moses is getting at here is of of, uh, making sure that the women are distinguishable from the men uh, in the way they dress. And so uh, that... uh, 
That is a, a controversial thing, to say the least, especially in the anything-goes kind of world we live in today. Uh, the New Testament counterpart is Paul wades right into the middle of this in uh, the book of Second Corinthians. And uh, he uh, gets into a, a, a discussion here of how uh, men and women are to dress in worship time to be able to honor the Lord. Uh, uh, they either, uh, and in this case, it's specifically talking about head coverings in in uh, uh, worship. And so the, uh, 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 Paul urges the women to have their head covered, and we're not quite sure if this is of having uh, some kind of scarf or veil on Mm -hmm. their head, or if it might be uh, that uh, they have uh, long hair and they don't cut their hair too short. But uh, one way or another that this is is prohibited here by by, uh, Paul, that women should have their heads covered in one uh, one way or another. I think I said uh, 2 Corinthians. This is actually in... uh, First uh, Corinthians 11, and uh, likewise, men are instructed to have their heads uncovered in a worship seven. Uh, specifically, Paul says that that's when they pray or prophesy in the church. Women are to have their heads covered. Men are to have their heads uncovered. So this uh, Deuteronomy thing uh, carries over from Deuteronomy 22. And in one respect here, that there is to be a distinction between the way the men and the women look. And so uh, interpreting this is all over the place. Mm-hmm. We have uh, some denominations that still respect this. In fact, when I was younger, and I think you probably ran into this too, it was just not considered kosher for a man, a young or old, to come into worship services in the church with their hat, a hat on. I remember uh, people would just uh, tell me, you know, they'd point at me or they'd uh, tip my hat off my head and say, no, 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 not, not during worship time. Mm. And the same thing with women, that they would wear some kind of veil or scarf, hat, uh, whatever. But there, there are denominations today who still observe that, uh, that they see this from 1 Corinthians continuing on uh, to today. Uh, there's a whole chunk of Christians, though, that see this as a, a cultural uh, representation of what a woman and a man looked like in Paul's day in Corinth. And that might change. There's a principle there of keeping a distinction between men and women, but it may look differently in uh, societies today or societies around the world that have different of different standards or different ideas of what a woman or a man looks like. I find it interesting, Bill, that this flies directly in the face of the uh, movement to have uh, uh, fashion and clothing where there is uh, little to no distinction between right. men's and women's, uh, and uh, that uh, that may be a, a, a cultural kind of a battle against this distinction between men and women, even in the way we look, even in the way we dress. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest for the full hour. It's Ask the Professor. So send your questions. We'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what you have for Mark, 877-933-2484. Mark, if we can jump into 2 Peter chapter 1, this verse, uh, 3 and 4, says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his 
own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, mm-hmm. having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Mm-hmm. Have we escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, we still live in the world, and so it has an influence on us, especially if we allow that into our lives. But our position in Christ has removed us from that. It's one of the reasons that we describe Christians as being holy. Uh, sometimes we think of holiness as being sinless perfectionism, but it really carries a broader context of, of being different or uh, out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And so Christians, we when we put our faith in the gospel— we uh, uh, are uh, immediately made holy in a couple different senses, that we are different than what we were beforehand, that we are born again, we are regenerated, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our bodies, and so that change is huge. And then we're also different from the world around us and the thinking of the world, the, the, uh, the actions of the world, that has changed. So I think that may be what Peter's getting at there in chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Musk is with me for the full hour, so let's take full advantage of his brain power. 877-933-2484. If you have a question about God's Word, something maybe you even came across this morning that you wanted some clarification on, send it over. 877-933-2484. In verse 4, Mark, when it says that he has given us his very great and precious promises so that you may participate in the divine nature. I'm just yeah. wondering how often we would walk around going, I feel like I am participating in the divine nature. Or in Ephesians 1, it talks about that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Well, we shouldn't walk around feeling defeated at all. With yeah, that this information. Is, yeah, I would agree with you, Bill. Sometimes we get a little sloppy in our yeah. thinking and we don't remember what we were before the gospel and what we are now after we've put our faith in the gospel. A lot of this is in the church. I think I've got my own little theory about it because there's a whole mess of people that are faithful Christians. They followed the Lord all their lives. They've been going to church since nine months before they were born. (laughs) They've they've been in the church their whole life. And so uh, this doesn't seem to be a big difference uh, for them. But uh, for those of us who became Christians later on, uh, there's a very distinct kind of uh, difference there where now we are able to become, I think the modern language we use for this, divine nature partaking in it, is that we are becoming Christ-like and we're actually able to change from the rotten scoundrels that a lot of us were mm-hmm. in, in our B.C. days. And so for some kids that have been raised in the church about the worst thing they did growing up was maybe, you know, the uh, to uh, take uh, steal a pencil from the kitchen or something like that, mm-hmm. some drastic <laughs> evil mm-hmm. that they did. Uh, I don't want to make fun of that, but it's, it's something where uh, for people like me, uh, there is no question that there was a B.C. period in my life, and then how that changed completely, uh, partaking of the divine nature and becoming uh, Christ-like in little ways, but uh, definite ways that we could see after we put our faith in the gospel. Mm -hmm. We are going to take a little break. When we come back, we can uh, answer your question. I know you've got one. Send it over, 877-933-2484. 
888-884-8484. Any question you have about God's Word, anything for Dr. Mark Muska, send it over. We'll be back in a minute. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. So glad to be spending time today, not only with you, but with my friend, Dr. Mark Mosca, who is an amazing Bible teacher, theologian, professor. He was here at the University of Northwestern for 30 plus years. Now he is pretending he's retiring, but not really, because he still answers my calls. So I appreciate that, Mark. It's always fun talking about these questions. They're the best. So mm-hmm. here's a question. This is based on Matthew twenty sixteen. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first? Yeah, I don't I don't think that one is real complicated. He is really talking against self-promotion and uh, exalting oneself. And uh, I think even a milder form of that, of comparing ourselves to other followers of Christ and uh, he wants to turn the whole shmeel upside down and say, you know, you're, you're trying to be first. Now, the, the, the one who is humble, it's also associated with servanthood, mm-hmm. where he talks uh, about the one who is the servant of all is the true follower of, of Christ, and not the, not the leader, but the, but the servant, the lowly one. Mm. And that shows up even in his ministry. There was a high-powered uh, hierarchy of Jewish leadership in Israel when he walked the earth. But he seemed to be especially uh, intrigued by uh, beggars, uh, uh, women, children, uh, the down and out, and not the important. Uh, he did talk to some important people. and Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. And uh, so it wasn't exclusively that way, but uh, this, uh, to me, it's a it's a it's a, uh, a point we don't talk enough about in the church and what it means to be a leader in the church and to aspire to leadership. Uh, I have uh, real concerns about this. I'm probably going to get in trouble with a lot of people saying this, but I think it's overstated in the church today of people aspiring to lead. Uh, when I talk to students who are thinking about, you know, they'd like to be a pastor or a leader or an elder in the church or a prophet or something like that. I used to, I think it rattled them a little bit when I'd say, you know, instead of uh, aspiring to be that leader, why don't you aspire to be a servant (laughs) and let the leadership come to you if it comes, but not to be shooting to uh, be the big guy in charge. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if Jesus is just uh, tweaking them by saying this, first will be last and the last will be first. Interesting. You know, when uh, somebody says, I want to be a leader, I think that translates into, I'm ambitious. I want to do great things for the Lord. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to d- dismiss that, Bill. Yeah, That's I know. That's a fantastic thing. I agree. But there's, there's ways that, uh, that we get there 
that uh, I think are, are are patterned after Jesus. You know that he he himself he's the leader of all time. But yeah. what did he do? He humbled himself and took the form of a man and born in a stable in a, a very poor place. Not a lot of fanfare there. So. Uh, I'm not I'm not dismissing the importance of leadership and even desiring to be a leadership but I wish the pathway more was uh, taking this path of servanthood even that gets a little fuzzy at times when people talk about well I'm a servant leader and I just uh, I wrestle with that one myself personally is it more leader or is it more servant that I'm thinking about there Mhm that's a very interesting topic and I think we've had discussion on that in the past, Mark, and I think it does ruffle feathers. Mm-hmm. I know I've, I got feedback from people that really are, they love that term, servant leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in, interesting. Ask the professor, 877-933-2484. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest and friend and Bible answer man today. So, here's a question, Mark. I love this one. John twenty twenty three. Jesus tells his disciples, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And the question is, does this mean we, as Jesus's followers, can forgive people's sins? Yeah, that's that's an important question. Uh, A couple things. This is after Jesus is raised from the dead, last few days on the earth. He's speaking to the apostles here. It's not just a general crowd. And he's talking to them about this thing of forgiving sin. Uh, I think what... The, where we can take this is to remember where, wh- who the apostles were. Uh, the ap- word apostle itself means to be sent out, and it implies the idea of authority going with that, that these apostles were taking the authoritative gospel message out to the world. And after Jesus is gone, that's what we've got. Uh, the, he's not walking the earth any longer, and so if you want to know what the true gospel message is, you listen to an apostle. And you devote yourself to apostolic teaching. And that's true even today because we see apostolic teaching reflected in the New Testament and the writings of the New Testament. One of the chief tests of a book being included in the New Testament was to be able to uh, demonstrate that it was either written by an an apostle or under the supervision of an apostle. And if they couldn't answer that question real well, it was really doubted whether it should be part of the New Testament. So as that as carrying that authoritative message then, I think that it's possible. I don't know because Jesus doesn't explain himself completely. But I think what he's saying here is based on people's response to the message you proclaim, you can either assure them that their sins are forgiven if they put their faith in the gospel and depend on Jesus to forgive their sin by dying in their place for their sin. And if that person puts their faith in the gospel in that kind of a way, you can pronounce forgiveness of sins for them. And if someone rejects it and turns away from the gospel message, you have the authority as apostles to be able 
to say, no, uh, I am not going to give you any kind of reassurance that you belong to Christ or that you're a follower of Christ because of your response to the gospel. They had that authority. And now today, the apostles aren't around, but we do have their writings. And as we proclaim them, we can share in that authority in a limited sense by reassuring someone who puts their faith in the gospel and uh, gently but firmly uh, pressing someone who uh, is resisting the gospel. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Mosca is my guest. Ask the Professor, one of my favorite segments. Send your questions over, 877-933-2484. So, Mark, when Jesus called out disciples and said, follow me, and they yeah. seemed to drop what they were doing to follow him, did they know who they were following? <laughs> I don't think they did. <laughs> In fact, I'm not sure they knew who they were following after <laughs> Jesus was raised. You know that they, their learning curve was pretty steep. But mm-hmm. it, it is significant, especially you see this in Mark's gospel where Mark loves this word immediately. That, boy, you know, Jesus put that call out there and immediately the fishermen that were called, they left their nets and off they go. And so uh, it, I don't know if that's a literary device there to say that they didn't dilly-dally around. Remember, Jesus is asked, you know, by somebody that wants to be his disciple, well, can I go bury my dead, my father or whatever? And uh, Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. So there was an immediacy of this. I don't think it was that second necessarily, but the decision was made and you packed it up and you followed Jesus. It was something they, uh, I don't think they had a real good idea of what it would be. But, you know, you, you pick on somebody like Peter, where he's out out fishing all night, doesn't catch a blooming thing. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Jesus says, throw the net in on the other side. And he's going, yeah, right. And he does it, and he almost sinks his boat because of the catch of fish. And he's impressed. He falls down before Jesus and says, depart from me. I'm a sinner. Right. And Jesus says to him, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so I don't think it was too hard for him to to make that that decision. Did he did he have his doubts afterward? Most likely if he's human, but he uh, I don't think he knew a whole lot, but what he knew was uh earth-shaking for him. It was life-changing. Mhm. You know, Peter is um he's I can't wait to meet him. Um He's a, quite a character. And I think of that moment in, in Matthew where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, speaking yep. to Peter. I mean, uh, in the course of about eight verses, he goes from, uh, you you are correct, Peter, and on that I'll build my church to get behind me, Satan. That's uh, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I, I think he's a great illustration of uh, talk now, think later. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and do and then think uh, yeah. kind of thing. He's impulsive, but you know, impulsive people can really do a lot for ki- the kingdom I and agree. for Jesus if they can just get directed in the right direction. And mm. so, that any of these kind of character traits have their negative side to them, but they really have a positive side as well. I can't wait to meet some of these people. I think it's going to be fun. And we've talked, we've joked around many times. I really hope there's reruns in heaven. Oh, me too. That'll that'll keep me going for thousands of years to <laughs> oh, see yeah. this stuff. Likewise. Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah. We'll do some of that uh, watching together if it's uh, possible. It that would be great. Be great. Yeah. Maybe there's even popcorn if oh, it's Oh, I heaven. bet there is. I bet there is. All right, we'll take a break. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. If you got a question, send it over. 
We'll get it answered. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. a great day here at Faith Radio, and it is uh, Ask the Professor Day here with Dr. Mark Muska. So if you have a question, send it over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Mark, when you consider the uh, process of following Jesus and you get to know him better, I mean, I know when people make first-time decisions to place their faith in Christ, they've started their journey. And then as they learn more and more about God and maybe even get glimpses of his holiness and who he is, it changes how you understand him and, and, and worship him and grow in your understanding. And when you, um, again, get a glimpse of his holiness, I, I don't think you ever see him the same again. I don't think Peter ever saw him the same again after he pulled in those fish. Yep. And he realized, wow, this is this is there's something different here. Yeah. It was an indelible mark that was yes. put on him at that time, I think. And yes. So so many Christians have something similar to that. Not necessarily a miracle where a whole bunch of fish show up, but uh Something uh, again. I think this is so clear for those who come to faith in Christ and in the gospel as adults, where they have really lived a non-Christian life, a BC life. Yeah, and the transformation that takes place is just spectacular for so many of them, where they're not trying to change; they're just trying to figure out what's happening to themselves, you know. <laughs> and yet they see just really. Big changes taking place, and the people around them are just shocked. Uh, when I put my faith in the gospel, Bill, I had been dating a girl for quite a while, and you know she was just looking at me like, you know, who are you, and what did you do with my boyfriend? Because you're so much nicer than he was, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't trying to do anything different. Right, it showed up. Right. And that kind of thing is like the fish in the sense that you never forget it. For those who are raised in the church, so many, I would say almost all of them, have those kind of uh, experiences too where they see God work in their lives to answer prayer or to meet a need that just it's foolishness to say it was just coincidence or chance or something like that. They know that God has entered into their life and ministered to them. And they hang on to that kind of thing as well. And it's something you can always come back to. I like to tell students, you know, when you're having some doubts or fears and you're, you're, you're on a shaky ground, step back and remember what you know. 
about how God has worked in your life already, and that will help stabilize the boat a little bit so you're just not getting rocked by these waves of, of uh, anxiety and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I want to go back, Mark, to this idea, though, that when we, when we spend and we get an opportunity to, to understand God's holiness, even in a deeper level, it changes yeah. us permanently. Now, you pitched baseball in college— yeah. And we're a great pitcher. And if I said to you, oh, Mark, do you, do you still think you have it in you? And you say, oh, yeah. And we go to the, the baseball field and you pitch a 300-mile-an-hour uh, pitch against the, yeah. back, the back fence, which is roughly 200 miles an hour faster than anyone has ever pitched. Do I ever see you the same again ever? Nope. There's no way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true that uh, this is the role of the Holy Spirit instructing us and enlightening us as we read God's Word especially, where you've had this experience many times, I know, Bill, where you read a passage a whole bunch of times, but then for some reason you read the same passage again and it just hits you like a thunderbolt Yeah, when it talks about God and his mercies. And uh, sometimes this has happened to me as well when I'm uh, singing a hymn or a a spiritual song, and you understand it at at a level that you haven't before. And those, I think that's what you're talking about with those holy moments. There's a there's a caution to bring in there that we don't uh, base these entirely on feelings or on emotions, because those babies can go up and down in a hurry. But I don't know if it's possible to have one of these encounters with God without some kind of emotional component to it. And so uh, we don't we don't lean on those feelings, but we don't ignore them either. And they do help us to come to a greater knowledge of who God is. I mean, you use your baseball analogy, Bill. Uh, a lot of people know about uh, someone like, uh, well, for Minnesota Twins fans, uh, Kirby Puckett. Mm-hmm. They've, they've got his baseball card, and they know his stats. They can rattle off all this stuff, but they really don't know him, that this takes time and interaction and personal contact for you to know someone and to understand them and their heart and how they how they think, how they make decisions. That's, that's restricted to much fewer people than just the know-abouters. And so the pathway to knowing God is to know about him more and more, don't get me wrong. But it goes past that, that it's great to be able to recite, God is holy, he is compassionate, he's merciful, he's righteous, he's patient. But to see that uh, exhibited in your life takes it to a whole different level. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mark Mosca is my guest. Ask the professor... Would love your question, 877-933-2484. Mark, Jesus called out sin in others, except when he didn't do it. So (laughs) when do we confront sin versus just keeping our mouth shut? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Jesus usually was hardest on the religious leaders, and he was more patient and kind to those who were already uh, screwed up and they knew it. And so he didn't have to state the obvious. <laughs> but yeah. uh, this is something I think there's a couple of, uh, of uh, guides we can bring to this where 
when we see someone struggling with something, I think our boldness with them is based on a couple of different factors. Number one, how, how much time are you going to have with this person? If you're sitting next to somebody on a plane and probably won't see him again and they start talking about things that are really wrong, you probably need to boost the boldness meter up a little bit sure. and to be more direct with them. Kind, of course, and uh, gentle, but more direct. You got a family member, though, that you've been around for years and unless something drastic happens, they're going to be around for a long time. You dial back that boldness meter, maybe some, because... Mm -hmm you got lots of time with them. You don't want to use that as a, an excuse to procrastinate, but you don't have to bring that kind of boldness that you would with someone that, is, uh, that you're probably going to have limited contact with. And then the second key factor is the nature of your relationship with the person. Mm -hmm. If it's someone you barely know, uh, that should bring you pause to say there's a whole lot more to know about this person. And if I see them maybe cussing out somebody at work and they claim to be a Christian, I'm not going to jump all over them uh, uh, just bang like that. I need to get to know this person and understand more. I may say something to them, but it's not going to be nearly as effective as if you already have a committed relationship of real care and bond with people. Uh, this, you know, uh, many men have these kinds of men's groups. I do, where uh, we've been, uh, we've been, we've known each other for forty, fifty years, and mm -hmm. so I can talk with a friend like that much more directly because they know I love them and I care about them, and I'm not just dissing them. I'm interested in the best for them, and yeah. so I can. I can bring up things with them that would be uh, not appropriate for someone that I, uh, as a stranger, I know much less about. So those two factors have guided me as, as I've thought about that. I hope people, though, don't find 17 different excuses not to talk to someone about something that's going on. If you have a brother or a sister in Christ that's engaging in harmful behavior— they are they are doing things that are going to bring real trouble to their lives. I hope that you love them enough to say to them what they need to hear, even if it means that you risk your relationship with the person, mm -hmm. that they may reject you for it. What's more important there? And so there's a lot of factors to be involved, but it seems like Christians, we can come up with these excuses left and right, you know? Oh, I got to live as an example before them for a while, or, oh, it's not that important. Oh, somebody else is closer to them that will talk to them about it. We can come up with a dozen excuses like that in a matter of minutes. And so I, I hope we, we step back and think about that. There's, there's, uh, uh, there's great love exhibited when we are, are uh, straight with people and not just affirming or validating what they're doing. Sometimes uh, we need to be talked to, and I'm glad that I've got at least some people in my life that will do that. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mark Mosca is my guest. Let me know what question you have. Ask the professor, 877 933 2484. So in Joshua, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Mm -hmm. My question is, did Rahab tell a, a lie to save God's people? Can God 
permit us to tell a lie because we want to do what is right. Yeah, that's a good one. I agree. Ethicists have had a ball talking about this. And uh, it, because Rahab, you know, she goes on, she's uh, rewarded for this. Uh, she's in the genealogy of Jesus. She's Jesus, what, great, 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 granny, you know? <laughs> he, he, yeah. he, she's in the line of Jesus. It's right there in uh, Luke's gospel. And so uh, is it right to lie to save someone. Uh, I don't want to get too academic with you, Bill, but there's a school of thought on this that's a hierarchalism, they call it, to say that in in and of itself, it's wrong to lie, period. But if there's a higher moral requirement involved, in this case, meaning to save somebody's life, because she turns this guy in, uh, they're going to get killed as spies, that if there's a higher moral requirement, the lesser requirement defers to the greater requirement. And so that lie is uh, is excused, you could say, because you still don't want to be someone who lies, but it's, it's excused in the case of a higher moral principle, hierarchicalism. Absolutism, though, will say uh, she shouldn't lie and it doesn't matter uh, trying to figure out the consequences, uh, only God knows what that is. And so usually you don't get that completely right. And it's God's job to save these guys, not you. Mm-hmm. So uh, you tell the truth and you depend on God to be able to uh, uh, work out the details of this. And so Rahab is a beauty for the hierarchalists. That, that looks like a great illustration of this. But uh, another a good one is in Exodus 2 where the Hebrew midwives are lying about the, the Hebrew women having uh, baby boys where they're supposed to turn them in, but they say, oh, well, these women are so vigorous, these Hebrew women. They give birth before we can get there and all that. And that that's at the very least stretching the truth and so uh, probably a lie as well. So I don't think we're going to settle this one, this one this afternoon. There's really, really good thinking and arguments that come into play on both sides of this ethical question. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come right back with more with Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the professor. Let me know what you have. I'll ask on your behalf. You can, of course, remain anonymous. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back. Dr. Mark Musk is my guest, and we're delighted to have Ask the Professor segment regularly. Ask questions, whatever you have, 877-933-2484. Mark, Peter um, warned against false teachers in Second Peter. Uh, we see that in Paul similarly did that in, in Romans. In Romans 16, 18, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceived the minds of naive people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boy, this has been going on for a long time. 
It has. That uh, the faith, uh, it was especially difficult for these apostles because there was all kinds of teaching that was circulating about Jesus at this time in the first century. And uh, the New Testament hadn't been written for the most part to codify what was apostolic teaching. And so they f- ran into this almost everywhere they went. Uh, virtually every one of Paul's letters, he has to rebuke something about teaching and uh, those who are going off the deep end and not uh, not sticking to the the true gospel. So uh, it's it, you're right. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we've got the uh, holiday weekend coming up, and there's going to be lots of family gatherings and uh, opportunities to uh, be around people that you may not be at peace with. Do you have any counsel, Mark, as to how to best do that? Well, for that, uh, I don't know if you can uh, do a one-size-fits-all, <laughs> Bill. You know, that, uh, but there are some things to think about. Uh, uh, don't, uh, especially if it's family and people you care about, uh, it's, uh, it's hard because those people that you care about and love the most, they're the ones that can hurt you the worst. And so some of the worst schisms and uh, breaks are in families or in close associate business partners for years, you know, and they really care about each other. And then something happens and bang, you know, there's a deep wound that goes in. But uh, this thing, uh, I've I've noticed that for Faith Radio, it's been a, a time of talking about forgiveness. And so that that's the tip of the spear as far as I'm concerned for this. And uh, first of all, settling it in your own mind and heart to be able to forgive some of these things that maybe people have done to you. And my best uh, understanding of forgiveness, Bill, is to let things go. Just don't hang on to them. All they do is poison you in the end anyway. So just let them go. Uh, think about other things when you think about that sister or that work associate or whatever it is. Uh, choose to uh, think about things other than that one night when this happened or whatever it is that hurt so badly uh, that we have all the reason in the world to forgive others because we have been forgiven. It's one of the signal passages, I think, in the New Testament when Jesus teaches the uh, parable about the two servants of the king and how uh, Peter asks him how you know how often should I uh, how often should I forgive uh, seven times and Jesus says uh, try seventy times seven and my math says that's hundred four hundred ninety times I think he's saying keep forgiving don't keep count and he bases that on the idea that remember friend. You have been forgiven a sin debt that you could never repay when Jesus died on the cross for you. So you've got the ability to let go of some of these more small change things that have happened to you and to forgive other people. In fact, Jesus says, if you can't forgive other people, that's a big, big warning that you may not understand the gospel itself of how great you have been forgiven by God, uh, that uh, that's something really serious. But I don't want to talk down to people who've been hurt. I know the hurts are real, 
and it takes time. In fact, when you forgive, sometimes the old dragon comes out of the closet again and you have to forgive him again. When those, uh, those feelings run deep, you may need to involve a friend with this that will pray with you and be ready 24-7 to talk to you on the phone if you're just grinding your teeth again about what happened. This is, uh, it's, a, it's a huge monster, but it can be slain through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that we can find peace and uh, what a great time to do it when you get together with your family, with relatives, people you care about. Mm-hmm. Because you think of some of those dear people that you love who have been rejecting the gospel or rejecting whatever conversations you've had with them. And I think of 1 Corinthians one eighteen that says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yep. So... When we are speaking of spiritual things, this is going to sound like utter foolishness to them. How do we get to the next level? Well, I think we we have to stay to, at first things first. That uh, lots of people want to uh, talk about the big questions of Christianity: How can there be a loving God that allows so much evil in the world? Why did God take away my husband or my wife? Uh, the, the, all those kinds of questions, they're really, really good questions, but there's first questions that have to be faced, and that is, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with yourself? Uh, and that leads straight into the gospel about the forgiveness of sin through Jesus' death in our place so that we can be at peace so many people don't have peace. And so how are they ever going to work out these other questions of bitterness towards somebody else and that if they don't start at square one? So I just, you know, if people want to get off on that, I usually say, oh, that's a great question, you know, but let's talk about first things first here. Oh, I like that. You know, what? Uh, where, where are you at with God? Are you mad at him? Are you interested? Uh, that that's a that's the the nose on the dog. Uh, if the nose on the dog always takes the dog wherever the nose goes, and that's that's the nose on the dog of uh, have you have you uh, accepted and have put you put your faith in the gospel that reconciles you with God, that gives you peace with God and it makes it possible for you to be at peace with yourself and at peace with others. All that other stuff follows the nose of the dog. Mm-hmm. Other stuff. Yeah. Mark, what about when I, people find it easy to celebrate maybe when smaller prayers are answered? You know, we've got a, a big event on Saturday, and Lord, let it not rain, and Saturday rolls around, and it's a perfect day, and we all celebrate. Wasn't God great in answering that prayer that there was a beautiful day for our, our, our gathering. But we seem to overlook some of the, the bigger the bigger prayers that maybe didn't get answered. The the healing for the cancer or something that we have major, major prayer requests for. We don't we seem to overlook that. We don't talk about that very much. Well, you know, it, it, you, you may be making a good point there, Bill, that uh, there's such a need. You know, you, if you can peel back the exterior on people's lives and really talk about them about uh, with things that matter to them, the really serious things, there are so many people that are carrying these burdens of these big requests that they're waiting on God. Mm-hmm. He hasn't chosen 
to answer them or at least answer them with the answer they'd like. Uh, but uh, uh, rarely do we talk about those things. I just, uh, I just encourage people, uh, take your friendship, take your family relationship to a, a, a deeper level and get into those things. And if people aren't ready, you know, say, okay, you know, fine, we don't have to talk about that right now. But at least probe in there a little bit and maybe be ready to share one of the ox carts you're dragging around behind you that just uh, doesn't seem to be uh, – uh, God doesn't seem to be doing much. Uh, so many people have these burdens, and it just uh, gets passed over in superficial things rather than substantive things. So good. So good. So we only have a couple minutes left. And when you ask, you invite someone to come into the faith relationship with Christ, might you be more inclined, Mark Mosca, to say, I, I encourage you to follow Jesus, or would you say, I would encourage you today to be born again, to have that born from above experience, like it talks about in John 3. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say either one of those. I'd, oh, interesting. I'd, I would say, are you ready to put your trust in Jesus and depend on him alone to mm, forgive like your that. sin and to take that sin away because he died for you. He paid your penalty on the cross by dying for you. Are you ready for that? That's that's where it all starts. Are you ready to uh, trust him for that? Not just believe it, but depend on it. So you're not going to get into all this horseradish about going to church or giving money or being nice to people. Those are all great things, but they're diversions. The main thing we need to do is depend on Jesus to take away our sin by dying on the cross. That's the first step. All right. Thank you once again. I hope uh, you have a wonderful holiday um, and a nice uh, time with family. How are the grandsons? I need to ask. Out of control completely, but absolutely <laughs> joyful. Uh, just the greatest. And what are their ages right now? Well, they're all going to go eight, uh, six, uh, eight, six, and four this year, but only okay. one's had his uh, birthday. So right now it's seven, six, and three. But they are just a delight. Yeah, are they um, are they driving yet? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> so they've got a lot of energy, don't they? Oh man, you know, uh, not so much thinking, a whole lot of doing. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. so much fun, though. There's such an innocence there, and I love it when I can awesome. spend time with them. It's better than breathing. Yeah, Mark. Thanks again. Have a great weekend. You bet, Bill. Always right. good to talk to you. Thank you so much. We'll take a short break. We come back. John Bloom's going to talk about his brand new devotional. It's amazing. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.